This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... A charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. I can guarantee you, you have asked yourself these two questions. Are we alone in the universe? And where did we come from? This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science? Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and, and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where, where science rules. Now, it's a call-in show, people. If you want to be on the show, please go to askbillnye.com and, and type on in. Once again, I am joined by my writer, editor, and very good friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Hello again, Bill. So today, Corey, we are going to talk about where did we all come from? How did we get here? Well, that, my friends, is the essence of the modern discipline we call astrophysics. And with us, we have a world-renowned, brilliant, fabulous astrophysics communicator. She's the Claire Toe Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Barnard College of Columbia University. And of course, so much more. Welcome to Science Rules, Dr. Jan Eleven. Thank you for having me. So, Jana, you're studying gravitational waves and black holes and the beginning of the universe. You're on a very, very big track. How did you end up where you are? You know, it's so interesting. In retrospect, I think we have these narratives that we kind of make up. But looking back, I was always interested in this. I remember the first time I ever saw the Milky Way. It was a stunning experience. I'm a city kid. I grew up in Chicago. There's this thing called light pollution. I'd never seen the Milky Way. I didn't know what people were talking about. I loved Carl Sagan. My dad and I went for like a run on the beach. As a little kid, my father would force me to go running. <laughs> and, uh, this is uh, on Lake Michigan or something? No, this was – oh, good point. We went to this small island – off of South Carolina, where there were no streetlights. And we were spending a month out there. And we're on the beach, and it's dark. And it's over the ocean. And I see the Milky Way. It is it is this milky riff of stars cutting across the sky. I've never seen 
anything like it knows. It was one of the most impactful experiences of my childhood. And I remember we would see shooting stars. You, it just was staggering. It's hard to believe it's real the first time you it see it. It is very hard to believe it's real. And still, I did not self-identify as a scientist. I, uh, I, thought, I thought scientists memorized equations, were incredibly tedious, had no creativity, were not interesting people. And it really wasn't until like halfway through college that I was like, wait, what's physics? What is this? So <laughs> we are living at an, an amazing time. Mm-hmm. First of all, Here's Edwin Hubble, 1923, mm-hmm. seven. Yeah, er, 23 is that plate. Mm-hmm. So, and disc- then 1929, he figures out the, the universe is expanding or finds the evidence for it. Right, right. from the collection. Takes him a while to collect all that data. And then convergent with that is people discovering uh, chain reactions in nuclear fission, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, chipping away at that, people develop quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. And this is where the very tiniest, 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 Things that we can imagine merge with the giganticest, hugest, most enormous whole things yeah. that we can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so everybody asks these two questions. Where did we come from? Mm-hmm. Are we alone in the universe? Mm-hmm. And if you want to answer those questions, you have to explore the cosmos. You have to understand mm-hmm. stars. Yes. And so now people routinely just walking down the street will use the expressions Big Bang, mm-hmm. Black Hole, and... I'd be surprised to learn if everybody really knows what each of those expressions means. Sure, yeah. So I think what's fascinating in what you're posing is, one, that you used the word you or us, right? It is somehow, by studying something so austere, so separate from us, something that has no reciprocal uh, sense of love for us as we have for it, namely the austerity of the universe and the Big Bang and black holes. You don't know that, man. T- <laughs> man. Like, I feel a cosmic energy <laughs> when I'm, like, with Corey. <laughs> the black hole that is Corey. <laughs> so the I love that idea that we find meaning in these things. And I get asked that all the time. Why should I care about this Oh, stuff? my goodness. So why should we care? <laughs> we should care for all the reasons you just said. There are actually answers to those questions. Wh- where where are we in the scheme, cosmic scheme of things? Where did we come from? How do we interpret ourselves in the universe? The answers come from studying those things. The fact that it's these little tiny creatures have been around for a bleep of a second on this little rock, which we now know is one of such a large number, you know, the, the trillions of trillions is able to reflect and understand that we are, in fact, progeny of a universe that began 13.8 billion years ago. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? It's just, meaningful. It is. Fills and me that with it's reverence. true for all of us. I love this. It's true for all of us. This yeah. is not social. It's not political. It is not economic. It is just what we are made of in the world. You threw out the number 13.8 billion. Mm-hmm. How do we, I mean, I have a sense, but how do we achieve, how do we find that number and agree upon it? So we predict how hot the the light left over from the Big Bang was initially. How do we predict it? Well, so that's based on the laws of physics. Oh, well, there. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's it's it for today. It's, it's, related to, it, it's related to how uh, Hans Bethe figured out how stars Well, shine. I know. It's, yeah, I but... hope it's related, for crying out loud. This <laughs> is a podcast yeah. about... But it would, do we add up all the matter in the universe and see how fast it's moving and how bright it is we and can also backwards? Yes, we can also... It's a separate way to measure the age of the universe, which is lovely that they come to the same agreement. The separate way to, to measure it is to look at Hubble and Hubble's conclusion that not only is the universe full of gal- other galaxies, but all of them are moving away from us... 
if you imagine that the entire universe, what's really happening is that the space between the galaxies are stretching. So the galaxies are stains on space-time and don't actually move. They're spots. They're like, they're like spots. Like if you were to put stains on a balloon skin, they mm-hmm. don't actually move around. But what stretches is the distance between all of them. And that means cumulatively, the further away you look at a galaxy, the faster it must be moving away from you. And this is called Hubble's Law. And from Hubble's Law, we're able to deduce how fast the universe is expanding, how fast it's expanding today and in the past. And that allows us to estimate when we all would have been crushed together into an inconceivable singularity. So in a sense, you, can, you just run the story backwards. You and run see the how, movie backwards, yeah. and then you can tell how long the movie's been running forwards. You can tell how long, if I run it backwards, we were just uh, this catastrophic high-energy singularity, which is what we call the Big Bang. All right, so here's something astronomers do all the time, which, of course, is charming. Mm -hmm. Take these extraordinary, in a sense, mind-blowing, certainly staggering ideas and just give them these whimsical Big Bang, (laughs) Big Crunch, Black Hole, Day at the Office. (laughs) So... So uh, the Big Bang, the idea is that all the matter and the energy that we can observe was in a a single point in space. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't know what happened in the first 10 to the minus 43rd seconds. Mm -hmm. You can't can't know that. Mm -hmm. The Planck time or something. We we definitely can't know that yet. And I would say, instead of saying everything's at a point in space, I would say space itself had contracted to a point. Yes, yes. Can we go to the phones? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Haley. Haley, are you there? Hi. Uh, where are you calling from, Haley? Ohio. Ohio. All right. Uh, well, thank you for uh, for joining us here on Science Rules. Uh, what's on your mind? What do you what, what can we tell you about the universe today? How come? How can people accurately measure the universe if the universe is constantly expanding? Ooh. Do you mean the size of the universe, Haley? Is yeah. It, well, we can't. Yeah. We cannot estimate the size of the actual universe, and it's something I have labored over. And in fact, we might never know the size of the universe. What we can know is the size of the observable universe, and we're really careful to distinguish those things. We can tell how far into space we can literally see because of the light travel time since the Big Bang. So so how big is the observable universe? It's about 92 billion light years across, and that's because even though the universe is only 13.8 billion years old, it's more than 26, because I would get light from both directions. That would give me 26 billion light years. It's bigger than that because the universe is expanding. And so we get to an estimate of about 92 billion light years across is how far into the universe we can see. Now, just beyond that, we presume there's more. Maybe more beyond that. Maybe it's infinite. Maybe it's infinitely full I of mean, galaxies. But, so and- then, but like the universe is expanding into what? No, it doesn't mean anything. The universe isn't expanding anything. The, anything <laughs> is the universe. Everything that cosmic is universe thing, dark, wave, gravity, thing. Okay. How long has okay. this been upsetting uh, you? Okay. Okay. No, not okay. at all. Okay, Bill, hold on, so, hold on. No, so this gets me to the question. <laughs> yeah. Is okay. there more than one universe? How would we know that? Well, there's two separate things. One is is that the universe does not need to be expanding into anything. If I could say the universe is expanding into something and it's expanded by this much space, that would be the universe. What we really mean is space and time. Everything is included. So the universe can weirdly get bigger without expanding into anything. But then there's this other question, this Big Bang we keep talking about 13.8 billion years ago. Who's to say that's the first and only time it's ever happened? Yeah. Who, Corey? Who? What, who, what makes you think you are cosmic <laughs> Who died and, and left me? <laughs> cosmic God of the universe? Thing, stuff. Yes. Haley. 
these questions are so deep. Yeah. And, you know, your question is important, and it might not be answerable, Haley. I mean, it might be that the universe is a finite size, which which would be spectacularly interesting, but we might never be able to see that deep in space to notice that the universe doesn't have an edge that you would fall off of, but maybe wraps back onto itself, kind of like how the Earth does. You know, if I walk in a straight line from New York City, and I don't turn left, and I don't turn right, and I keep walking straight, I actually will come back to where I started eventually. If you could navigate the oceans and stuff. All kinds of... People have done it in airports. I would right. just do it. Just I would swim. I would walk. I would. And now, what if I left the Milky Way in a spacecraft? And I looked behind me, and I saw the Milky Way receding behind me. And I didn't turn left or right, and I just kept going straight for as long as possible. And I saw this galaxy approach in front of me, and I landed on a small up. planet, and I found the Statue of Liberty buried in the oh, sand. No. <laughs> Damn them to hell! <laughs> older Mani- reference, maniacs. <laughs> older reference. Uh, planet of the Apes reference, where things have gone catastrophic. Catastrophically wrong for humankind. Now, Haley, are you buying that we know the universe is constantly expanding? Then are you buying that we know how old or we have a very good estimate of how old it is? But how could you know how old it is if you can't? If you, but like, how? What was the universe before the Big Bang then? Oh, this Ooh, is that's a this good is a good question, and this is. Need we say more? Really? Yes. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a good explanation? This is the deepest fundamentalist question of all fundamental deep questions, Haley. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have really tried to give really systematic answers to this question. It's not one we can answer yet, but there are some very interesting ideas that um, that the uni- there was nothing literally nothing, but the quantum potential in some sense for something to exist. But I think a much more modern idea is that there is this kind of landscape of space and time. And what we're really talking about is like a ginger root that plumes off and that the big, our big bang is just this sort of plume off of this larger multiverse. And we've skirted the word this long. I can't believe it. Fantastic. Kudos to us. (laughs) But here it comes, this idea that there is a multiverse and, and there are these plumes off of which each one having its own big bang. And all we can do when we look into the past is see ours. We cannot see deeper past the big bang, nor will we ever be able to, because in some sense, because it's space time, that's so into our past is not something we can see. So that is a troubling, deep question. It could be that the evidence of what happened before the Big Bang is lost to us. Absolutely. Expanded beyond our reach. That's right. It is it it not only expanded beyond our reach, but because of the because different observers in the multiverse perceive space and time differently. For us it's the past. But if there are but if there are multi multiple universes then ours cannot be infinite by definition. There, you can't have multiple infinite universes, or can oh, you? Yeah, you can, because you know. Ah, my what brain. about when Superman passed through the wall my, my into brain. the other universe? What about when the thing that wait, wait, wait. like so what, you can have you can have multiple had a beard? What about that? You can have multiple infinite universes. Yeah, because wow. um, okay. because when you're visualizing it, as am I, because it's a limitation of the human mind. We're imagining this kind of ginger root of plumes as being nested in a higher dimensional space, and like they bump into. To each other, right? But that's actually just an 
artifact of the way we're visualizing it. They're not near each other in any higher dimensional space. The space is the multiverse. <laughs> That's it, baby. That's it's it. Just, it's <laughs> and just also, staggeringly <laughs> staggering. It's cool. It's yeah. I mean, we all love to talk about it because yeah. it's the fundamental, where do we all come from? Uh, yeah, this is like a real workout for my little primate brain here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's Haley. You've gotten to a fund a fundamental question of fundamentalism. It's really, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to ask. And the answer is, it's so it really is mind boggling. And a satisfactory answer is elusive. Yeah, you mm -hmm. took us right to the edge of science. So uh, thank you for that. Stick around for more science rules after this. everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You're listening to Science Rules. Uh, let me ask you a question. People say cosmos. People say universe. First of all, are, is the cosmos and the universe the same thing? And, and what is it? How do you define what is everything and is there more than everything? Yeah, I, I think the more interesting question is, is there more than everything? So I would kind of lump cosmos and universe. I would use those interchangeably. Like if you needed to not repeat yourself so much in a sentence, you could you could mix it up. But, but I'll tell you what, you, you can tell there's connotations. Yeah. If somebody says, well, that's a universal truth. Right. That's different that if somebody more says global. than a cosmic truth. Right. Well, we used to think that the celestial bodies were the whole thing. But and, now? And, but now <laughs> we've learned that our solar system is not the only one. We, we live in a galaxy where there might be one-fifth of the star systems might have planets and multiple planets. So the number of exoplanets, planets that aren't in our own solar system, might exceed the number of stars in the universe. And so then it gets bigger and bigger. We've got galaxies. Then it turns out since Hubble, ours is not the only galaxy. Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, Pre-Hubble Space Telescope. Oh, Hubble yeah, himself. The actual dude. After Edwin Hubble whom, yeah. discovered the expanding universe. Yeah, and he was the first one to identify that a galaxy that looked like just a nebula, it could have been a small thing close by, was actually a huge thing far away. It was actually an entire other galaxy. So he was the first one to unequivocally identify that there were other galaxies. Uh, Victoria, you're out there somewhere, and you have a question. Where are you from, Victoria? I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, it's glorious and free. <laughs> uh, and you have a question. Yes. So my question is, what do you think of the theory that we're living in a holographic universe? So I want validation of my existential crisis that we're just a 3D image projected on a 2D surface, or yeah. we are a 2D surface. Yeah, um, I think it's a really clever idea, and it originated with Lenny Susskind. Who... To me, you can't prove a negative. You can't <laughs> prove that you're not in a video game. There's no way. They also, they implanted all your memories of everything that ever happened and all the discoveries about, like, the cosmos. They're all planted in astronomers' minds by the super game designer. 
It's just very, it's just unreasonable to well, me. You well, know, Occam's razor. Well, hold on. So and j- that right now, that designer just turned the off switch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Janet, so if our universe is a, is a hologram and a sort of in a higher dimensional space, how would we ever know? I mean, is that actually a testable theory? Well, there's two questions. Why do we even think about that? And the other, is it testable? Um, both are maybe not impossible. So one of the ways this came up is by thinking about black holes. So uh, we know that— Which is a star. A black hole a black is a star. A black hole is no longer a star. It is a dead star. And it might never have been a star. You can make a black hole maybe in the early universe, and it never was a star. With oatmeal or something? Yeah, you could make it with oatmeal <laughs> if you were strong enough to crush your oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> down to a catastrophic microscopic I've, I've had some. I've had some cold oatmeal on the stove, which it seemed like it was right on the edge. Yeah, it was right on the right edge. Right on the edge, black hole. Yeah. So basically, um, nothing can be more compact than a black hole. So, um, so we start to think about matter and density and all this kind of ordinary way of talking about physics, but we should also be talking about it in terms of information. I can't pack more information into a volume than can be packed into a black hole because that's the fundamental limit that we know of. There's nothing past the black hole. That's when it all collapses. If I took something in this room and I tried to pack more information on it than I could in a black hole, it would become a black hole. And there so you go. Quote so, demonstrando. <laughs> yeah. So black holes, therefore, tell us something about information. And fascinatingly, black holes say you cannot pack more information on a black hole than can be encoded on its surface area, Ooh. not its volume. The black hole cannot, and this can this be proven. This is a Stephen Hawking thing. It relates to Hawking and Penrose and Bekenstein and, and Lenny Susskind and many people who came afterwards, that you cannot put more information in a black hole than what can be encoded on the surface, which sounds like a lot less than what you can encode in the volume. And that's where holography comes from. It's the suggestion that the three-dimensionality of the black hole is an illusion created by the information packed on the surface, on the 2D surface. And if that's the limit fundamentally to how much you can pack information in anything in the universe, then we must be in some sense, 3D projections of information that is at most two-dimensional, so at we, most. So, so we might be information dancing on a higher dimensional surface. Or a lower dimensional or, surface. Or, yeah, That's projecting case. the yeah. illusion of being 3D. So a two-dimensional information encoded totally two-dimensionally that gives us this very convincing and compelling illusion that we're three-dimensional. Are you okay with that, Victoria? <laughs> Clear as mud. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you for okay. calling. That's, that's Carry the, on in Alberta. That's the first step toward enlightenment. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, we have Tanner on the line. Uh, Tanner, are you there? Yes, hello. Hi, Tanner. First of all, welcome to Science Rules. Where are you calling us from? Uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Cedar oh, Rapids, yes. Iowa. Uh, do, you, uh, do you look at the Milky Way there? Are you in a place where you're dark enough you can really see some real sky? Down at my hometown, I can. Not too much in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, I know. Where's your hometown? Uh, it's called Farmington, Iowa. There's a lot of towns called Farmington. And so, do you have fa- is it do you have factories there? Oh no, let me guess. There's farms. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, when you were in Farmington, you saw uh, a, a dramatic night sky. Yes. But with that said, that dramatic night sky led you to ask this question: Take it, Tanner. Okay, I think you guys have talked about it a little bit, but I don't understand how light can be measured from uh, galaxies that are incredibly far away, uh, thus uh, estimating the age of the universe. Well, light is very persistent, and one of the spectacular 
um, facets of light, which led to this entire revolution, all the ideas we're talking about, is the constancy of the speed of light, the fact that light will never slow down. If you threw a rock from a distant galaxy, it would eventually just stop moving and it would never make it to you. The fact that the light does um, is just this gift, actually, because it tells us uh, not only will it definitely get to us, but it can also allow us to look into the past as well as looking into space. And if we're patient enough, um, the light the light will get to us and convey some aspect about that galaxies. The time uh, when we give up hope is when the power emitted is not strong <laughs> we enough. Give up hope. <laughs> so hang on. So you're saying that when you look at a beam of light, or a ray of light, yeah. you acknowledge that it's coming from the past. Yeah. At least as perceived by yeah. us. So, yeah. So help Tanner understand uh-huh. uh, how observing one beam of light tells us how old it is. Right, or that one variable star right. you were referring That's to. That's incredible. Like, how do you, how do you yeah. get from that to a... Measuring yeah. the universe. That's incredibly hard. So if I know nothing about the light source, I really have no gauge to know if that's an incredibly, insanely powerful signal far away that just looks faint because of its great distance, or if it's uh, a fainter, uh, less powerful signal right up close. And this is dog A dimmer candle yeah, closer. Yeah, so we have things called gamma ray bursts, which we didn't know. Were they kind of powerful in, in our galaxy? Or were they insanely powerful and in another galaxy? And still the light was getting to us. So, I mean, Tanner, your question isn't isn't so much maybe about light will always make it to us if we wait long enough and the universe isn't expanding too rapidly, but um, but whether or not it was powerful enough for us to, for it to register. Tanner, did that work for you? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> really? You're feeling good about it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Thanks. you know, it's a hard problem, just so you know. And the standard candles, when they weren't very good, we now use supernovae as standard candles. So if you see entire stars exploding, we are made of the dust of the stars when they mercifully explode and throw it back out into the universe. So it's part of the big ecosystem. When we look for those explosions, those are excellent standard candles as well. And we use those to determine how fast the universe is expanding. The universe is really good at recycling. It's amazing. How yeah, the, how... I mean, think about what would happen if it made the stars. The stars had thermonuclear explosions in their cores, making heavier elements like carbon and oxygen and all that stuff we need for life, and then did not cast it back out into the universe, <laughs> but kept it locked inside. That would be the end of us. There'd be no planets. There'd be no rocky planets. There'd be no life forms. Science Rules will be right back. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Science Rules is back. Let us go to the next caller, Sarp. Sarp, are you Hello. there? Yes. Hello. All right, Sarp, welcome to Science Rules. And w- whence are you calling? Uh, from Dubai. Dubai. Dubai, wow. See, science Dubai. is for everybody. Yeah. It's what I love. It's true for all that's, of us. That's, so, that's fabulous. I have a sense, Sarp. You have a question that goes along this line. Take it. Take it, Sarp. Uh, why is dark energy incompatible with string theory? However, dark matter is compatible. 
Um, it's quite complex, I know. Hmm. Okay, well, here, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe so there's question. three things, dark yeah. matter, dark energy, and string theory. Right. Take it, Jim. Yeah, let's, okay. let's start by breaking down what is, what is dark energy and what is dark matter. Yeah, so here's the fascinating thing that happened over, and actually many decades of um, controversy, is that we realize that everything you have ever seen in the universe, everything that anyone has ever seen or ever will see, makes up less than 5%. What about, what's out there? What about little birds? <laughs> little birds, entire puppies? galaxies, puppies, <laughs> dirt, dust, sugar. Is, is 5%? <laughs> is less than 5% of what's out there in the universe. And that was a kick in the teeth. That was a shocker. And teeth, it's really which are also made of the of same stuff. Stuff that you can see, <laughs> which is part of the 5%. So, and we know that because dot, dot, dot. So Saul Perlmutter and, and the, that whole Nobel Prize winning crew and other teams that observed that the universe is expanding faster than we had not only anticipated, but getting faster is the point. It's accelerating. It's, accelerating. it's like a car where you've got, you know, your hand on the accelerator. Oh, foot, rather. I guess you drive right. with feet. I don't know. I don't well, drive. a motorcycle, you twist the throttle. <laughs> okay. in, in, in New York, we, we do a you lot of driving with appendage. our hands. <laughs> a lot of driving with our hands. <laughs> um, so that really threw people off because we know from the relationship of how energy affects space-time that the only form of energy that could cause space-time to expand at an accelerated rate, getting faster and faster, must be diffusely uh, permeating all of space-time and have this kind of weird rubber band quality. As the universe expands, it feels more of it. So that makes it go faster, which makes it feel even more of it, which makes it go faster. Okay, just a second. Maybe maybe I've got this, <laughs> and then maybe SARP will be all over it. So... As you expand, mm -hmm. space-time expands, Yes, you expand into more dark matter. It's almost as though the observable region that is responding is able to respond to the dark matter. It has put its arms around more of it. I'm sorry, energy. Put its arms around the dark energy. is able to put its arms around even more of it as it expands. And that's not usually the case. No, when you think of an expanding balloon, mm -hmm. the balloon gets thinner. The, as you blow the it balloon up. slows down because it still has the same amount of stuff in it, which is driving the expansion, which is regular stuff bouncing around with pressure and pushing on. And you don't get more of that stuff as the balloon expands, so it gets weaker, so it slows down. Okay, oh. so that's what we anticipated. It's just made up of light and stuff in it, and the stuff has some kind of, in some sense, gravitational pressure, and that's causing the expansion. But the expansion's slowing down as it gets more and more dilute. Totally. Anticipated there result. There you go. Totally anticipated. In this case, it's not getting more dilute. And that's really wild. So now... So Sarp, we just give it a name. Sarp, we name call is, it dark energy. That name, okay. Now, mm -hmm. string theory. Help Sarp out with the string theory. Well, so the, uh, I just have to close it. The other 25% after dark matter makes up... I mean, dark energy makes up a lot of it, like over 70. Like a little... A lot of it, a quarter of it roughly is in a form of matter that is just invisible. But it, it acts like ordinary matter, but it's invisible. And it just means it doesn't interact with light. It's actually not that exotic. It's nowhere near as exotic as dark energy. Oh, no. No. Okay. okay so, a piece so, of matter that light doesn't bounce off well, of? I can give you an example. Neutrinos. Well, neutrinos are a go. known form of matter. I've, I've, got some, I've got some neutrinos going through me right here, <laughs> right now. Billions and of them. And the reason they're going through you is exactly because they're dark. That's the reason they're going through you. They don't interact with your atoms or with light or with anything like that. So this is another case where astronomers take a regular word <laughs> and use it to describe some amazing, crazy idea. Dark, yeah. 
Yeah, dark. We could have called it invisible. So, um, but the, um, you know, the fact that that makes up most of it is quite fascinating. Um, but yeah, the dark energy is just a proxy name we give to mean, well, we don't know what that stuff is. All right, is. so now what's string theory? You're still with us, sir. <laughs> yeah. So string theory is not on the same footing as dark matter and energy. There are zero observations yet which can confirm that string theory is correct. String theory is an idea, and it's a g gorgeous idea. And what makes it so gorgeous? Well, one of them is because it's unifying in a very fundamental way. So we love this idea of unification. We love this idea that there's not millions of laws of physics and it's all really complicated. We love this idea that there's actually one law of physics. That's what we're hoping for. One fundamental law of physics that everything else looks differentiated but is really just unified back in that. So here's here's one very quick way of seeing why string theory is unifying. It says that every particle in the universe is not a different particle. They're all actually the same fundamental string just ringing at different harmonics and the different harmonics as they're played on this fundamental string distinguish an electron from a photon. So although seem like completely disparate phenomena, they're actually unified by being made of the same so, one so, fundamental string. And the string. universe is musical again in this, uh, in this yeah. if this idea so, is correct. Yeah. Who came up with the expression string and is there a longer than it is wider aspect to yeah. the string of the string theory? Well, so... I can't swear who the original person was. I think it might have been somebody like Lenny Susskind. Um, I, I'm guessing it's Lenny Susskind, but but I can't swear to it. So Lenny was just messing around with this idea that when we look at the microscopic quantum level, we don't see a point particle. If we looked close enough at it, we blew it up even more, which we haven't been able to do, we would see this little closed loop of string. And it was important that they were these little closed loops of string. Loops of string. Yes, that the strings were closed loops and they you couldn't cut them or break them. They were fundamental. They were what they were, but they when they played different harmonics, they emulated different particles. So the entire universe is reducible to a string. So now it's more gluons complicated. And... Er, gluon would be a different note played on the string. Okay, so, so, so here, I'm, I'm going to be here as, as, as Sarp's, uh, <laughs> Sarp's proxy. Uh, so, and, and, and Sarp, you can, you can uh, uh, jump, jump in if I'm, if I'm mis mis misspeaking for you. Yes, yeah, you know, okay. we have the sort of exotic theory. It might be a theory of everything. Some, somehow, dark energy is harder to explain than dark matter. We don't really have, e even our most exotic theories can't really get us to, to what dark energy is. And what, what is it that's so mysterious about dark energy that even an exotic forward-looking theory like string theory can't quite explain it? Well, string theory might be even worse. And I think this is maybe, I don't want to ascribe Sarp's motivation, but maybe why um, he asked the question is because it does look like string theory does not want there to be something called dark energy, which is a little bit stronger right, than just saying, does it explain dark energy? Um, but it might not be that cut and dry. So for instance, Brian Greene, who's a famous string theorist, um, he and I have written papers together where we ask if even in the context of string theory, if the dark energy could be a kind of quantum energy trapped in extra spatial dimensions. Whoa. So it is not firmly incompatible with string theory. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's leaving. Bill's no, like halfway out the door. No, 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 no. I just, you guys... How much do I love you? So <laughs> it just be a quantum energy trap. Yeah. So we know that you can trap quantum energy between, let's say, two plates in the laboratory, something called a casimir energy. You can get these two plates and it, it creates this kind of quantum energy between them. So we wondered, well, if the universe has extra spatial dimensions, do you have a similar kind of energy? Because it's like a small space in which quantum energy gets trapped. So instead and of so four we, dimensions, you so, keep going. Right. If the universe was 
n-dimensional, where only three spatial dimensions and one time dimension expressed or was large. Maybe the universe was born with 10, 11 dimensions, and they were all wrapped up small. And what we're really trying to figure out is why did only three of the spatial dimensions get large? Why did the others stay curled up tight? Sarp? And if they do, they would have this quantum energy, and it could be the dark energy. So, Sarp, is this helping you? <laughs> Um, I have a question. <laughs> yeah, good. So, of, of course you do. Please. <laughs> is the Higgs field the core of the problems? The Higgs field is really not the core of the problem. The Higgs field uh, did us proud. The Higgs, just quickly, I think the reason starts asking questions is because the Higgs, every particle has a field. So you described already electromagnetic waves and having a photon. Love that. Love That's those. every single particle in the universe has a field component and a particle component. So the Higgs boson, which we call sometimes the God particle, more often the goddamn particle, which was, by the way, the original title, <laughs> Leon Lennerman intended, uh, also has a field component. And that field is what's more interesting to us uh, in the universe that we live because it permeates all of space and it looks kind of like a dark energy. And it's something that our atoms do interact with. And it's the reason we feel inertia because as we move through this field, there's like a kind of molasses aspect of the interaction of the so, atoms so in our body with the, the field. That my feeling of... of yeah, it's hard uh, to stand yeah, up or push hard to stand around. Up. When it's hard to stand up from, yeah. This, yeah, hard to stand yeah. up from this chair or, or right. when I'm taking a tight turn in a, in a car and I'm feeling, yeah. you know, kind of pushed to the side. Yeah. That's me interacting with the Higgs field. Yes. That, okay. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And uh, and that, that looks like dark energy, but um, interestingly, it does not satisfy what we see cosmologically. It's not the right uh, energy level. It's not the right. So it, it can't explain the dark energy as we know it. But probably people have played with other ideas. Well, maybe there's something else like a Higgs field that, whose field is permeating all of space that has an energy density to it. And that could be the dark energy. So so these are ideas that people pursue. So we, so we see evidence that there's energy out there. We just don't know where, Look, where it came from and what it's doing. Yeah. There. An electric field in this room has energy. We can't see it. Um, unless it's oscillating, it's hard to see. And so it could be there's a bunch of fields in the universe, each contributing to the dark energy. The problem is, is if I did a naive estimate of what it should be, it would be way huger. The weird problem is that it's the, the dark energy is small, which is surprising. It should be huge. And so if it were huge, it would have just blown the universe apart. It would all apart. be over. Right. We never would have had time to make stars and galaxies all and right. stuff in it. So okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad then, it's not huge then. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Along this line, Sarp, yeah. it is speculated that all of these fields, yeah. all of these fields and these strings and these energies and these darks are one thing. Well, string theory has proliferated. It started as string theory. Now it's kind of M theory, and nobody's ever figured out what the M stands for. I think multi. It could be multi. It could be M, um, M for membrane. Um, we now think that there's basically every dimension of fundamental object less than the size of the entire space. So in other words, if we live in a three-dimensional universe, maybe there are strings, maybe there are membranes, which are like surfaces. If we live in a four-dimensional universe, maybe there are volume, maybe there's the number of membranes as you go up in dimensions. Okay, so, so, so Sarp, I hope, I, hope this, I hope this helped a bit because you, you got us on a great, uh, a, a, great, a great deep dive here. And I want to I thank you for, uh, for taking us down that path. Thank you, Sarp. Well, I could thank you. It's time for the lightning round. That wow. thunderclap is an artifact of a lightning strike. So are you ready for the lightning round, doctor? I am. Okay, I'm good. in. Okay. I'm here. All right. 
Okay, Act- Jana. Activate yeah. your brain. Yeah. Best galaxy name out there. Oh. I mean, I I guess it would have to be Andromeda. And Andromeda. I mean, it's, it's a good name. I mean, it's a good name. What am I supposed to say? M87? <laughs> oh, God, that is cool. Uh, oh, that's M- hot. M- M81 is a much better name. <laughs> are there other universes besides ours? I think we covered I that. I su- strongly suspect that there are because that's how the whole trend since Copernicus has gone. Do you think it is possible to travel into the past? It is definitely possible in Einstein's theory of general relativity or the general theory of relativity, I apologize. Um, Thank but, you. It's okay. Jeez, <laughs> it's okay, boy. sorry. I was wondering. But, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of, there are chronology protection conjectures that argue that chronology somehow... Chronology protection conjectures. Conjectures that even though it is permissible under certain extraordinarily strange conditions, very strange conditions in relativity, that maybe the rest of physics will forbid it. Your favorite space song. You go with Elton John or you go with David Bowie? <laughs> um, well, it would have to be so far David Bowie. Sorry, Elton. But I would I would say there's an Arctic Monkey song, which makes reference to black holes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been noticing, like, I have, I, your ear picks up, right, every time you hear space time. I've heard both space time and black holes in an Arctic Monkey song. If you could travel anywhere in the universe, where would you want to go? Oh, man, that's a tough I'll question. I'll tell you what I told a reporter yeah, once. You, yeah, give me some ideas. Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii's pretty good. Hawaii's you pretty good. You can breathe. Water's nice. Yeah. But you've, you've got a space suit. You've got a super space suit. Yeah. Uh, so you can go somewhere for, for a day with your oxygen supply. A day, supply. and I can make it back. Well, here's the problem. Yeah. I would, of course, who's not going to go check out a black hole? I mean, come on. Okay. But then by the time I come back, this millennia have passed here on Earth, and, you know, I don't get to hear this podcast. Uh-huh. Oh, God, that would, well be a, that would be an impoverished life. So I don't know. What is the most common misconception about space in your view, in your humble opinion? Mm. I think it's the one that was already raised, that space expands into other space. And yet I always want to convince people that means it is space. <laughs> so there's no space that it's a... It's a <laughs> meaningless question in a sense it is right anything that can be expanded into is part of the universe because it is space in a related follow-on last lightning Mm -hmm. round question Mm -hmm. what is the one thing you want everyone to know one thing everyone to know about space or astronomy or astrophysics Oh, wow. (laughs) That actually, that I think is the answer. That might be the answer. And here's what I mean, everybody. When you ponder the number of stars in our galaxy, then in turn the number of galaxies that we can observe, now it's around a trillion. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, about a trillion galaxies. That is more than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And somehow you and I are part of that great cosmic universal scheme of things. And somehow you and I are. One way in which the cosmos knows itself. That is really something. And that that we humans with our little puny human brains have figured this stuff out and can talk about it. It is admirable. It's really (laughs) And whenever it makes you feel small, the way to remind yourself, well, isn't it grand that we were able to do that? Isn't it grand that we feel so small? Yes. Isn't it grand we have the sense to feel so small? Thank you so much, Jan 11, Doctor, for being here. That was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Take her course, read her books, (laughs) invest. I'm Bill Nye. And I'm Corey Powell. Remember, when it comes to the universe part... Of our universe, science rules. If you like science rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show. 
Thanks. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineers are Casey Halford, Jared O'Connell, and Brendan Burns. Mixing and original theme music by Casey Halford. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher. At Stitcher, Science Rules. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Prince donated this guitar. (gasps) I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.